755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Welcome back to 755 is real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for The Athletic, and I'm with Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves reliever, my co-host out in Seattle, Washington. What's up out in the West Coast, Eric? Nothing much. How you doing, Dave? Good, man. Big day here in Atlanta. We got uh, news that we were expecting that Ian Anderson Brace top pitching prospect has been called up today and will start tonight against the Yankees and Garrett Cole. How about that for your first assignment as a major league pitcher? Go get him, kid. Yeah, well, you're gonna find out about a lot of him real, a lot about him real quick. Um, that's a tall task, but you know sometimes it's good to face a really good team like that and and just get it all out of the way right up front because if he has a good start, he's gonna feel like he can pitch against anybody. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that they kept in mind, they know the kid, you know, his confidence level and that kind of thing. And they're not going to throw him in there if they don't think he can handle it. They'd wait, you know, till you know, two days from now, three days from now, or next turn and, and have some uh, bullpen guy, you know, uh, have yeah. you know, do that start. If they thought it was going to, if there was a chance, he'd be overwhelmed by it. Yeah, you just sacrifice somebody you've already seen get beat up, you know, give them one more start, but. Yeah. Matt, I watched some of his. I watched some video on him. He looks like he hides the ball really well. I like his. He has kind of like a high front side and, and stays back a while before he throws. Super super flexible in his delivery. I could see it. You know, I could see his fastball playing up. So he might be all right. And he looks like a guy that could get uh, as he gets a little older, just get a little more muscular. I mean, he's he's got plenty of frame on him. Looks like he, could he already has. Big guy. I saw him yeah. when when pretty big guy. I was down. Surprisingly, I was hurt rehabbing when he uh, when he got drafted and he came in and he was just like a string bean, man. I mean, he was so uh-huh. skinny. But he, I remember the the strength staff, they couldn't believe his flexibility because they put you through all these different kind of mobility and, and flexibility tests uh, when you come in for your physical. And they were just raving about uh, how mobile he was. And I, me- I just remember thinking to myself, yeah, he doesn't have an ounce of muscle on him. And then that's probably why he's so flexible. But then I saw... Um, I saw a couple of videos and pictures of him, um, you know, recently from last year, and he looks like he's already put on maybe 25 pounds since he got drafted. Uh-huh. Well, he's a, you know, upstate New York guy and a high school classmate with the Atlanta Hawks shooting guard, Kevin Huerta. They're like good friends. That's cool. So now th- and now they're going to be in Atlanta together as pro athletes. I mean, that's, that's some rare shit there. The guy you went to high school with, and you guys probably used to talk about, you know, I'm going to be in the NBA someday. Yeah, I'm going to be in the MLB someday. Here they are. Huerta was uh, a year ago was a second team all rookie pick. NBA. Damn. Yeah, they'll be yeah. they'll be bonded forever. That'd be kind of crazy, man. They could even be roommates. Yeah, yeah, they could. How about that, man? Talk about running a city. Yeah, it'd be good too. You know, uh, it's good to have somebody sometimes that's out of your yeah. sport that doesn't, uh, you know, just kind of a break from from the daily grind of baseball, but have a good buddy there. You usually don't have that opportunity. Yeah, so you got both a connection to the past, you know, that uh, yep. you know that somebody who knows you really well from when you're a kid, because those are the friends you have forever, you know, your best friends when you're a little kid. The kind of guys you could not talk to for six months, and then you talk to them, it's like, you know, you never part. Yeah, yeah, or even, you know, for me, I have some high school buddies I haven't seen, and I see like once a year, but there's times yeah. where I haven't seen them in five years, and you just pick yeah. up right where you left off. It's it's hard to build those relationships in, in baseball because there's so much turnover and people going every different direction. But um, yeah, that's cool. I mean, that's, that's good for him to have a buddy like that in town. Yeah. So, But like you said, it's not in your same sport. So you don't have any of the conflicts or get tired of talking about work or whatever. You know, you probably you, you'll want to know everything about the Hawks and he'll want to know everything about the Braves and baseball and that kind of thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, but that's nice. You know, it's nice to, it's nice to have somebody that, that really cares about you asking simple questions instead of asking about your mechanics or what you were thinking three, two, you know, sometimes it's just, it's nice to have somebody that doesn't, doesn't know too much and you don't really have to get too deep with them. Yeah. Yeah. So they're from outside of Albany, New York, uh, Shenandahawa. I, I know I'm not pronouncing that right. Dahoa high school. Hmm. So anyway, yeah, both of them played, uh, and, uh, uh, Ian, uh, played a little basketball and vice versa. I don't think either one was great in the other sport, but they both played. So, um, the other big news of the day, obviously, it was a double dose of good news for the Braves fans today because Ronald Acuna was activated. Huge news for the Braves. On any other day, that's like, you know, yeah. screaming headlines. Well, I feel like that came out of nowhere. You know, it seemed like Snit was pretty cautious yeah. about, you know, putting any timeline on it uh, last week. And then all of a sudden he's just activated without really any kind of update that he's swinging or doing too much baseball stuff. So it was, it was a nice surprise. Yeah, that came over the weekend. Snit said that he had started hitting, so and that it, it, and he was doing really well. So he kind of went past Ozzy pretty quick, you know, because yeah. Ozzy was on the DL a week before him, uh, and his progress has been a lot quicker than Ozzy's. His injury wasn't nearly as as significant. Uh, it really was just inflammation, like they had diagnosed with uh, with uh, Acuna. So he hit a couple of days on the field to live BP, and he was fine. So. But uh, meanwhile, Ozzy might not be back till next week. So his was, you know, they're they're being careful, you know, and that switch hitting. They don't want to they don't want to make this change midseason right now. They don't want to make it period. But to have him hit from one side. But if they were to ever do that, it wouldn't be something they did in the middle of the season. They'd want to put a lot of thought into it and let him work out and do it in the off season. But right for right now, they're not even thinking about doing that. Well, it seems like they um they made the right call too, you know, because it it seems like Ozzy played with his for a little while you know, bothering yeah, him and kind of tried to play through it. Now, now you can kind of see that that's what teams are so afraid of when they shut guys down real right. quick, especially a guy like Acuna. Um, you know, it can get, it could have got a lot worse and he could be in that same boat and you really couldn't afford to be missing both those guys for a long time, but it's really good to see him back. It might've been good for Acuna to see his best friend get, you know. Yeah. It's probably why he went in the training room in the first place. <laughs> Right, right, to see him put on the IL and how it was slow to, to come, you know, that what would happen if you tried to get back too soon, that kind of yeah. thing. So. But I, all things considered, man, they've gotten along remarkably well without two of the biggest uh, pieces of their lineup, you know, and then without Soroka. I, when Soroka got hurt, I thought they were done, to be honest. And that was even before they lost to Cunha, you know, and Ozzy. I, I just, for them to weather this is pretty pretty impressive, if you ask me. It's just it's just something about this team, man. They, I mean, even the other day when they lost on Dansby getting thrown out at the plate, you know, uh-huh. there's something about this team that, and you can't. I don't know how you manufacture it. You got to have good leaders and stuff, but they've just got that it factor where they just find a way to get back in games repeatedly, and you know that it's just a good team. Um, I think they can weather a lot of injuries and stuff just with the the way they're put together and the personality mm-hmm. the team has, but. Um, yeah, I mean, losing Soroka and, and Acuna and all these guys at the same time, it's it's scary, but they just find a way, man. And and that's what good teams do. They just they find a way to win games. Can it be the same uh, that if that's in your DNA to be able to come back in games again and again and again, can that also carry over the same type of uh, 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 being able to weather a storm like this, you know, same principle? I mean, your team it's a mindset. A way. You know, yeah. there's there's teams that you just have downer dudes on the team leading it. You know, yeah. that's always complaining or, 
you know, acting like this, when the sky's falling, it's just, the, the, you know, the, the season's over. And, and that stuff just, you know, it, it just kind of snowballs, you know, a team mentality like that. If you have guys moping around when Soroka gets hurt the next day, you're probably getting your ass kicked. But if you have right. a leader come out and say, well, you know, it is what it is. We got to we got to put it together now. We got to figure out a way to win without them. And, and you know, just kind of pitching that mindset um, that, you know, it's a team mindset and a team approach. And this team believing they're never out of a game is, is a big reason why they are never out of a game. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. If you had, you know, if you don't weed out those kind of guys you're talking about and they happen to be, you know, the oldest or richest guys on the team. And I think younger guys can can really be messed up following the, you know, looking at that guy going, well, he's making $25 million a year. I should, I can do it like he, he's doing. So, yeah, I think you need to have those guys, your best players, your 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 your, your more established guys need to be guys that are setting a good example for that reason that you just said. Yeah. It's just, that's just what leadership is. And, you know, it gets overlooked a lot or discredited a lot um, in today's game because there's no staff for it. But Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's, it's definitely not random that this team continues to get back in games Mm -hmm. and find a way to overcome, you know, when, when the cards aren't dealt their hand, you know, a good hand Um, it's just, it's a mindset and that, and that's what leadership is. Yeah, they couldn't have better a better group of core guys, to, as far as that's concerned. And it's been that way for years now. I mean, no, I mean that's that's why it's not really like it's just a random thing this year. Like this team, since since we've been doing this podcast, especially, it seems like they're always making big comebacks and always getting back in games and mm-hmm. finding ways to win and overcome stuff. So it's almost an identity at this point. Yeah, I mean, since Snit took over as interim manager and then later became manager. They lead the majors in those wins, in wins in their last in their team's last at bat. Eighty, I think it's at eighty three now since he took over in May two thousand sixteen. I mean that's that's not just a uh, happenstance. Well, and he's a big part of it. You know, Snit's yeah. not a guy that he understands. You know, the the mental side of the game, how important it is for him to be positive and pick guys up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's I talk about that a lot with him. You know, if 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 you have a bad game, um, you can have a manager that won't. He'll, you know, you're walking down the hallway the next day and they'll duck into a broom closet just to not say hi to you because they're still, yeah. you know, frustrated with you from the day before. Snit's going to look you right in the eye and tell you to go get him today and, you know, put you back yeah. out there and kind of pump you up. Uh, that makes a world of difference for players, you know, just those little things like that yeah. because, you know, when a manager kind of avoids you or ducks away from you or, or, or doesn't treat you the same, you can see it in their eyes or feel that, that energy. It's, it's just reinforces that you sucked yesterday. Uh, but uh-huh. but when your manager's over it, you know, and, and he's positive with you, uh, it puts you in a position where you want to make him proud and, and, and go out and get it done for him. Um, so those things, like, they, they just get amplified, you know, by the, the people you're around. And Snit's one of the best at that. You know, I, I'd never seen him, uh, even when he was just our third base coach, you know, I'd never seen him down or, or you know, having negative energy. He was always a positive guy and picking guys up and Man, over even even though it's only a sixty game season, it's it's every day. You know, there's not a lot of off yeah. days. I mean, that that stuff really makes a difference. So, just uh, real quick on Ian Anderson, he's twenty two years old. Uh, for people not familiar with him, last year in Double A was dominant. Twenty one Double A starts. He had a two six eight two six eight ERA, one hundred forty seven strikeouts in one hundred eleven innings. Uh, he came up in August to Gwinnett, got knocked around in four of his five August starts at Gwinnett. First exposure to Triple A was twenty one at the time. Um, to for anybody concerned, maybe about that, what can you say about that and how it maybe it really doesn't mean a whole lot because he was developing 
and by all accounts continued made strides from the AAA last year to spring training this year and summer camp. Yeah, I mean, every jump, you know, each guy, each guy kind of has a different level that they jump to that, um, mm-hmm. you know, they can kind of have a bump in the road, but uh-huh. you, you get a chance to make that adjustment and you just, you see how they respond. It's, it's not a big deal. Obviously if they're calling him up against the Yankees, he's made some adjustments against some pretty right. damn, I'm sure he's facing pretty, pretty good bats in uh, the satellite camp. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's, five days there. it's five starts. He could have five bad starts and double. I wouldn't read into it too much. Yeah. So he will face Garrett Cole, who of course signed the colossal, uh, richest pitcher contract in history in the offseason, nine years, $324 million. Um, and the next night, Max Fried goes for the Braves. I wrote something that's in uh, that's on our site today. Max Fried, who makes a little over five hundred grand this year, Max Fried's pitched better than Garrett Cole, and Garrett Cole's pitched really well. He's to entirely lived up to expectations. Yeah. Uh, he's got a 2-6 ERA, something like that. But I think it just says something about how terrific Max Fried has been. That he that if you just look across the board, regular stats, advanced metrics, he is better than Garrett Cole this year. Um, so far. It's only six starts, but I mean that's half the season this year. Yeah, I mean, if you watch Max pitch, it's hard to imagine anybody being better than him right now. Right. You know, if you've been watching it, it's the numbers don't surprise you at all because he's been he's been pretty damn dominant in every time out and he looks like he's overwhelming hitters a lot. Uh, but to to be putting up better numbers than a three hundred million dollar dude, I mean that's <laughs> that's something for sure. And yeah, Garrett Cole's four and zero with a two seven. You know he's, he's not struggling yep. at all. Uh, the bar's pretty high to to outpitch him. Yeah, I think the only guy, if you look at it, just unbiased view of uh, National League pitchers, the only guy with better numbers than than uh, Max is Trevor Bauer. Yeah, he's just had ridiculous. He's just numbers. gone off. Yeah, <laughs> he's been. He's in got a few couple of fewer starts. <laughs> But his numbers for his four starts are just otherworldly. And the highlights of him, man, he is feeling it, boy. Jesus, yeah. every pitch. Yeah. No, he's, he's strutting and everything. And I would be too if I were him. I think it's I think it's pretty awesome. He's doing what you said you hope pitchers would start doing. Maybe he's setting the bar. <laughs> yeah, he is. He, well, he's a guy you could probably count on to be the first one to do that. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. always breaking the mold. But um, that Bieber for the Indians have been preaching pre- – Pretty damn good too. Bieber, um, yeah, in the American League. Yeah, yeah, he's in the American League, but there's there's Dominant. not many guys pitching better than Freed right now. Uh, Cole, like I said, four and oh, two seven five and six starts. He's uh, he's got forty four strikeouts, six walks in thirty six innings, only seven with, but he's got seven homers allowed. Max has no homers, by the way, no homers allowed still. Um, he's twenty nine. Cole is. He's got an 0.889 whip, which is really the only stat that he's even, well, the walks to strikeouts, the only stat, stats that he's better than Max at. Uh, it's, and it's nearly identical to Cole's uh, whip last year with the Astros when he was 20 and 5 with the 250 ERA, was the AL Cy Young runner up. Uh, Freed, meanwhile, is 26 years old. Like I said, he's make 585 grand this year. He's 4 0. But I'll, we also had mentioned he's going to be a Super 2 guy. Uh, as Moylo pointed out last year, he probably is going to get that or last week when we had him on. Uh, so I think the Braves, I'm, I'm sure they have talked to Max about a contract extension, but you're looking at what he's doing this year. I think you need to get that done as soon as you can. It might already be too late, you know. Um, and that's the, hard, that's the hardest part, you know, especially with Max having had some injury history and stuff like that. And yeah. It's it's just 
finding the right time to get that right deal. Um, you know, he's not a young, young guy. He's no. not a young, young guy. He's, he's 26 in his, in his third full season. Um, yeah. but man, if you could lock him up, you know, it's, it's all about the numbers, you know, it's, it's obviously, yeah. you know, from a, from a fan standpoint, absolutely. Let's lock him up. And from his standpoint, I'm sure he'd love a long contract, but the numbers have to match up. So it's, it's hard to find that sweet spot where you're balancing that risk of him getting hurt again and not getting locked into an eight year deal. And the guy has a second Tommy John. Um, and then for him, if he keeps pitching like this and what he'd be a free agent at 29, 30, how old was Garrett Cole? Harold, Garrett Cole's like what? 30, 29. 29. Yeah. I mean, he could be getting that contract. So is he going to sign a hundred million dollar deal now, or is he going to bet on himself? Huh. Well, he's out of other issues too, you know, with the blisters and that yeah. kind of thing. I, if I'm the Braves, I try to take advantage of that. May, obviously, it's got to be a fair deal for both sides. Somebody's got to have, you're going to have to pay more than you want to pay. Yep. And Freed's going to have to take a little less than he wants. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it works. But I would try to take advantage of the fact that he has that injury history and do it no later than this offseason. Because if you wait till next year, you know, he's going to be super two this offseason. I think instead of giving him arbitration, you try to buy out his arbitration years and like the first three years of free agency to give him like a six year deal. That's what I'd try to do. Yeah. And, you know, a guy like Garrett Cole, he didn't put together his huge seasons during arbitration. So he only went three million, six million, 13 million uh-huh. freed, man. I mean, he's he's ahead of that that pace where he's already he's a few years older, but he's already pitching like an ace. Mm-hmm. So he could go, he could start at five and go five, 12, 20. And then, yeah. it, I mean, he could be making 25 his last year arbitration. Uh, it's yeah. as crazy as that sounds, you know, putting yeah. up these numbers is insane. So that's the risk of the team is just getting destroyed through arbitration and losing him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to take on some risk, uh, but I think he's like, you've talked about, he's a guy that's really diligent in his work habits. He takes care of himself. And I don't think other than, and it seems like the blister thing has worked out now. He hasn't had it in a while. Uh, maybe it'll crop up once again, but it's, a, it's not a thing that's, that's, that's routinely sidelining him. Yeah, and it's not a scary it, injury. It, you don't have a right. two year, you don't have right. a year and a half the, blister. The, you, you know, you miss yeah, a start yeah. or two, it heals. It's it's not, that's not really a scary one. The Tommy John history is something where, you know, one Tommy John's one thing, but having a second one, you know, it's a lot harder to come back from that second one. Uh, but mm-hmm. even then, you know, I mean, some, some teams look at it as already getting it out of the way and, and the way he's throwing the ball now, there's, there's no ill effects, obviously. Uh, but that's just with pitchers, it's always a little harder. Um, than a position player because there's there's not a lot of yeah there's right. not a lot of injuries that just cripple a position player you know right uh, pitchers yeah. man you have a shoulder or elbow you could never be the same after that so there's a lot more yeah, risk absolutely he's not a power guy I think that been that from a team perspective that's good he's not a pure power guy he throws hard but he's not a you know a hundred mile an hour max effort guy who's going to blow out because of that. He's quick and mobile. And I, I, honestly, I think he's smart enough. That I think he keeps a little bit in the tank, even though his effort yeah, looks kind of – his delivery looks yeah. high effort because he's so athletic. But I see him every once in a while, he'll get like an 0-2 fastball away or, or, or like a you know a 1-2 fastball away, and he'll touch 98 out of the blue. So that tells me he's got more in the tank than, than he pitches with. Mm-hmm. So he's 4-0 with a 1-3-2 ERA and six starts, has 33 strikeouts, 11 walks, no homers, like I said, allowed in 34 innings. He has that 0-9-7-1 whip. He has a 2-3-4, 2.34 FIP, 
compared to Cole's 3.81. That's a pretty significant gap. For those who – I think most people probably that are listening to us know what FIP is, but if they don't, fielding independent pitch, and it's a good advanced metric because it measures a pitcher's effectiveness at what he can do. Right. Doesn't, doesn't take – doesn't, you're not beholden to the fielders at all because it's, it's measured on preventing homers, walks, and hit by pitches and creating strikeouts. And none of that is up to the you're the guys behind you. Yeah, the only thing I don't like about some of those stats is they don't. I don't feel like they reward soft contact enough because right, a lot of the right, stats right. don't believe soft contact as a skill. But if you have mm-hmm. a pitch like a cutter or a sinker, you're not getting nearly as many strikeouts, um, but you're missing barrels. And a lot of times, guys will have a lower strikeout. Even like Soroka, I don't know how he does on that, but. I guess he probably does okay because he doesn't give up a lot of homers, which is, you know, when I pitched, that was what saved me in in that category was I didn't give up the home runs. But, you know, I I feel like guys that know how to pitch sometimes don't get rewarded as much. So that might be why Cole, you know, if he's he's getting early outs and stuff. But, I mean, he's got 44 strikeouts and six walks. He's not struggling at all. Um, No, no. But, yeah, I I, I like Um, whip. I think whip's probably, for me, the best stat for a pitcher. Yeah. The – it's funny you mentioned soft contact because I was I was crunching numbers last night on stat on uh, on baseball savant, which is really good, man. But because I wanted to look at barrels and exit velo and all that, and as you alluded to, Freed is outstanding in those categories. Yeah, and I think as we get more into this. They're starting to get rewarded more. Uh, they might be already. You know, th- I remember when they came out, that's when I didn't really like them, when, when they were starting to get big. Right. They might have adjusted them by now. Sophisticated teams are rewarding guys for that. You yeah. know, the ones that are – and most teams are getting more sophisticated. But, I mean, yeah, strikeouts and, and like, for a hit or home run, still get paid, still get you paid. But teams are paying so much attention to spin rate and exit velo and soft contact and all that. Now I think so. A guy like Freed is coming along at the right time, doing what he's doing. Yeah. Um, so, but I but I was looking at the at the numbers, the exact numbers, and I was kind of surprised. I knew I knew Freed's really good at it, obviously, because he doesn't pile up strikeouts and he gets out of a ton of jams. When he does get guys on, he just calmly gets out of it again and again and again. And it's that soft contact you're talking about. So. But I was looking at last year, you know, this Soroka, people forget how great he was early yeah. last year because at the, his Freed, if he keeps this up, is going to have a better season than Soroka did as far as just the numbers that obviously not wins because you're only going to play 60 games. But as far as ERA and all that, but people forget Soroka at the same point last year. Holy – he was 4-1 with a 0.98 ERA through his first six starts last year. Jeez. Had 34 strikeouts, 14 walks, one homer, and 36 and two-thirds. Real similar in the strikeouts, walks, homers. Uh, he didn't uh, He didn't allow more than one earned run, Soroka, until his ninth start. Had a one three eight ERA through ten starts last year before having his really his first bad outing of the year in his eleventh start. Well, I think that's one thing that was so impressive and and made you feel so good about Soroka too is there's just so many early outs and he just never there was never an yeah. inning that felt out of control. It was always just like two pitches, ground ball, and then maybe a bloop mm-hmm. single, and then he get a double play. But he was always just so in control of the games. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. It was for me watching him last year was like you could just book five, six innings of really, right. you know, maybe seven right. shutout baseball. Seven, yeah. yeah. But you could just book it, you know, every every single time it was just going to be this nice, calm, a lot of strikes, a lot of soft contact type of start. Um, Freed, I mean, he just blows hitters away. He, he overwhelms them. And I think the reason that they don't, you know, make a lot of hard contact on him is because his, his ball is so lively. You know, sometimes he throws a fastball and it tails. A foot. Sometimes it, he throws an accidental cutter and it cuts a foot, but everything coming out of his hand just comes out hot. It's Man, hard for hitters to square that up. If Soroka, assuming Soroka comes back from this Achilles thing, you know, by early next season, I don't think he'll be at the start of the season, but who knows? Maybe he won't. But assuming he comes back at 100% and free just keeps doing what he's doing, keeps developing slowly, you're talking about a couple of pitchers who are going to harken back to the days of the Braves' big three. Yep. I mean, as far as, you know, right now, I'm not saying they're going to have 10-year careers like that or 15 years, but for right now, you're talking about pitchers, pitchers, you know, guys that are that carve people up, that, uh, you know, do all the things, field their position and all that. These are cerebral guys, guys you can count on. These are two that you, you want to lock up long-term, man, assuming, you know, Soroka comes back from that thing fully healthy well that would be the time to start floating some deals at Soroka (laughs) you know I mean he's he's I don't care how positive you are you're dealing with an Achilles you're gonna you're gonna at least respect the the thought that you could have a career-ending injury and maybe take a discount Um, but both the guys man that you know they it's just the consistency every time they go out you feel really good about it and once in a while there's kind of that you know that they they'll blow up a start or have a tough one, but even their blow up starts is just like five innings, four runs, and, and a lot of pitches right. or something. Uh, and you know if if they can get if the Braves can get one more prospect to hit, you know even even Anderson yeah. today if he comes out and, and starts right. off on the pass, those two dudes are on. You know I mean you're looking at not having many you know really filling your rotation out pretty easily every year for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and they're big on Tucker Davidson and the, and uh, Kyle Muller, the monster left-hander as well. Yeah, uh, you know those guys have got a lot. Of, if you could hit on one of those three guys, just need like one of them to hit. You got you got a big three right there. Yeah. Um, they so so Freed probably won't make. I figure in about thirteen starts he'll make this year. He's made six so far. Soroka last year after thirteen starts was eight and one with a two point oh seven ERA. Then he gave up 10 earned runs in 24 innings in his next four starts, which was a 3.75 ERA in that stretch. So it kind of reminded everybody he was human. Yeah. Uh, and 21 years old for more than half the season last year. He's six years young or five years younger last year than Freed is now. Yeah. Um, but Soroka, after going nine and one with a 2.03 ERA in his first 14 starts last year, was four and three in his, with a 3.20 ERA in his last 15 regular season starts. But then he was brilliant in his game three. He was only starting a division series. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that was a nice thing to see out of him too, you know, doing well in the playoffs. But, I, you know, I feel – I still wonder what the deal is with Hamels. It's almost like he's just written off at this point. But, you know, that's that's kind of what, you know, speaking he of the was Yankees. On the field. He was at Truist a couple of days ago throwing on the field. Well, that's good. And, and look good. Look good. Was out there in shorts, that kind of thing. I think he was getting off the mound like right, you know, today, tomorrow. Yeah, that's good. Uh, he's moving closer. It's happening. So, barring any setbacks, he should be back in September at some point, barring any setbacks. Well, that'd be huge because that's what that's what really stuck out to me um, the last time the Braves played the Yankees was, you know, how are you going to get past a team like this in the playoffs without your rotation figured yeah. out? I mean, the, the team's just piecing it together 
and you know the team they are they're going to find a way to win games but when you get into the postseason and have to go up against a team like this um you know obviously they're american league so they're not going to face them but it's it's hard to get you know when you face these really really good put together teams it's hard to get past them and and it's almost hopeless without at least two good starters Mm -hmm. yeah that's why i think you've got to make a a trade for whether it's lance lynn whether it's one of the Cleveland guys, if they're actually going to trade them, you know, for being a-holes. Uh, yeah, I think it has to be somebody significant. Uh, that's just me, you know, for your playoff chances this year. If you really want to make a run at the World Series this year, because I think it's wide open, the World Series. Yeah. It's going to be tough to get past the Dodgers, obviously, but you can at least get to the LCS, you know? So if you have Freed and Hamels, I mean, I feel like you can get go head-to-head with anybody. You know, starting pitching a, wise, if you, you add, add a guy, land. yeah, you got it. You add a number three guy that that can hold his own. They got a shot, man. I mean, and they and they got that. For me, they have that it factor. Even last year, man, like the playoff games, it that coming back against the Cardinals. You know, the guys like Dansby that just come up with big hits. Um, yeah. you, you, anything can happen if you can just get in. And and I'm, you know, obviously I'm pretty positive they're going to get in. But you got to have some starting pitching. And I, you know, and whether it's. Ian Anderson, which I'm not counting on anybody to come up as a rookie and, and be no. that guy. But whether it's uh, Tawan Walker, even if it's him, he's a, he's an upgrade as a number three. You know, yeah. uh, I don't know how you feel about Gaussman, but he's really had kind of a resurgence this year with the Giants, and they might be willing to trade him. It's a lot better, more appealing to me than Cueto with Cueto's salary next year. Anything you can do to upgrade, you know, anything yeah, you can do right. to to just answer some of these questions because it, it's. It's it's tough counting on prospects, man, and yeah. they're all going through their growing pains and and figuring it out. Yeah. Uh, it's it's tough to feel good going in the playoffs, even if even if one of the guys gets hot. I don't think you're going to feel like there's this you know that you're certain they're not going to fall apart in the postseason, or, or you can count on them. You know that experience of a guy like Hamels or or yeah Lance Lynn, who's been through it with the Cardinals, uh, mm-hmm. that would be huge for me, just just confidence wise. For free, these next five weeks are kind of kind of beginning with Tuesday's matchup against Tanaka with the Yanks. I think it's going to determine whether he's widely regarded as, you know, kind of one of the truly elite guys in the NL. I think he's right now, obviously, this season is one of the two or three best in the NL. But I think when you look at, like in the offseason, when people go, who are the best five guys in the National League? For him to be put himself up in that category, you know, in that group, you know, just below the DeGroms yeah. and the Scherzers. I think these next five weeks are going to determine that because if he can get through the season with anything close to the numbers he's got right now, he's going to command that kind of attention. Yeah, and every every year you do it, you know, uh, you're it's an easier sell. Like DeGrom, yeah. DeGrom just does it every – I don't even have to look up his stats right now. I'm sure he's got an ERA right. under 2.5 and he's – I don't know how many games he's won, you know, but – I'm sure he's got great numbers. It's just that's it turns into a point where you're that consistent that that's just who you are. Um, and I think Freed's pretty really damn close to that. I don't know if he's elite yet where he'd be considered that, but he's doing elite things. And if he just does it for a little longer, it's going to be hard to deny. Because I think Soroka had kind of pushed himself already he in was that there. category too. Yeah. yeah, and then he gets hurt. So uh, and Scherzer's kind of slipping. You know, I mean, I'm not writing him off because he's still Max Scherzer and he's still is capable of going out and pitching a no hitter. Yeah, but he's not the same guy that he was, and he's having trouble staying healthy. But um, Strasburg's out for the year. Man, that was that danger. You gave him that contract. I know in the back of your mind you're thinking, 
Ooh, that's why a lot of people thought they should have given that money to Rendon, man. Yeah. I know Strasburg was amazing last year, and the postseason made himself a lot of money. But you're the Nats. You've seen this so many times. He's had so many yeah. injuries. Well, that's yeah. just the difference, you know, between a pitcher and a position player. Yeah. And Rendon's going to be out there. Too. Yeah. At that age, too. You know, I just I, I thought that was a bad. And we said it at the time, too. I said I would have given that money to Rendon. And Britt did, did, too. Yeah, I mean, he was convincing. the The big thing you saw out of him last year was was the mentality change. He, you know, I mean, just how yeah. he was handling the media, how he was stepping up and yeah, pitching in big Bert, games. Yeah. yeah, there was always these question marks about his his mental makeup, and and I felt like he answered all those questions. But with pitchers, there's always the threat of getting hurt. Hey, never let it be said that Scott Boris isn't a very smart guy. <laughs> if you <laughs> don't think he was in Strasburg's ear. Telling him things, you gotta, you gotta just. This hold is how you together, have to act. Yeah, say these things, and we can get this deal done. Yeah, he you know knew what, what I mean? to do. Oh yeah, he knew what to do. Shit. Hey, listeners, producer Cam here. Listen, it's about time we stop using those generic razors or even, you know, those box electric razors that we think will do a good enough job on our undercarriage, but they really don't, and they always cause the nicks, the itchy red razor burn, the cut, and those cuts, they hurt so bad, and they cause us to scream at the top of our lungs, and it might fuel a curse-laden tirade that causes our wives or our girlfriends to walk into the bathroom, and they try to sympathize with us, but it's just so painful, but guess what? We could stop that, and the only one who can help you stop that is Manscaped. The Premium Lawnmower 3.0 is not only waterproof, but guess what? It includes an LED light. Man, this thing's like a tool that's highly engineered, and it helps you with your family jewels. And guess what? It's made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces, as we discussed before, the nicks and cuts on your delicates. You can get this trimmer inside the Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver, a undercarriage deodorant, and the Crop Reviver, a family jewel toning spray. Both super practical, and they are aromatic as they smell divine. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. So, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. I'll repeat that again. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20. And that's numerical two zero, all one word, THEATHLETIC20. Get 20% off and free shipping. So, always use the right tools for the job. Get it from Manscaped. I, I asked Flowers kind of about does I think he just just think that uh, Free can be regarded as one of those truly elite kind of one two guys, uh, legitimate top of the rotation guys. And Flowers said I think he's getting there. He definitely has the makeup to do it. Just his ability, the weapons he has. He has the ability to get out of any tough situation. He said he's grown so much just trusting his delivery and executing pitches. That's why he's pretty consistent and successful. Yeah, yeah, I don't worry about him one bit. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the right makeup he has in the stuff, I don't worry about that. Right now he would finish much higher than Soroka's sixth-place finish in the Cy Young last year because it's going to be quick, too, this year, obviously, not only another month. I, if he fin- Right now he'd be top two or three choice. Like I said, Bauer's the only guy with better overall stats among NL starters. And I was talking about the, the those numbers on StatCast. So – Here's a couple more uh, just advanced ones for for uh, the ERA plus. I don't know how you feel about ERA plus. It's kind of one of those that'll never catch on because the numbers doesn't really jibe with what people think about as far as pitching because they use one of those baseline. You know, they use a hundred yeah. as the baseline, and then they figure uh, it's it's adjusted for ballparks that kind of thing. 
and the number early in the season, like right now, is so huge in some cases that it doesn't – because it's going to even out over the course of the year. But right now, Freed leads the, N- e- the NL among qualified guys. Now, Bauer doesn't qualify yet because he's just below the innings threshold because he's only got four starts. But he – Bauer's numbers off the charts. But Freed leads the NL at 362, 362. Bieber leads the AL at 418. Uh, for some perspective, last year the ERA plus leaders, uh, Ryu of the Dodgers, 179, and Cole of the Astros, 185. So think about that. Freeze at 362 right now, Bieber at 418. Uh, Jacob deGrom led the majors in 2018. He finished at 218, 218 uh, ERA plus. Uh, that considers the ball- ballpark, doesn't it? Right. It's okay. adjusted to the ballparks you pitched in, which why which why Bauer, because he's got yeah. great numbers for four stars, plus he's in Cincinnati you know, yeah. for his home games. I don't know how many home starts he's made. But and DeGrom's in New his, York, where it's a little tougher right. to – I got it. Right. His ERA plus right now, Bauer's, 707. What? <laughs> I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah, I, like I said, ERA plus I don't think it's ever going to catch on, but it's kind of interesting just to look at it, where it relates in the, to previous years, that kind of thing. So, Freed hasn't allowed more than one run in his past five starts after he gave up two on opening day. Opponents are hitting 188 against him this year. 274 slugging percentage. I think that one jumps off the page. Yeah. Yeah, slugging's a big one, too. You know, just not giving up those extra base hits. At Truist Park, by the way, you know, I know Tehran struggled a lot at Truist Park. And and last year, we made so much out of the fact Soroka was so good on the road and so you know, good, not great at all at home. Yeah, and it was the it was the reason they ended up making the mistake of only starting him once in the, in the postseason because <laughs> they started him in St. Louis. But uh, uh, Freed at home has a two nine two ERA in eighteen starts over the last two years. You know, they've said the sinker ballers supposedly don't like the mound because it's low at uh, at uh, Truist Park. It's and it's the same as the mound at uh, Turner Field was supposedly the same height. I love that Turner Field mound. I hated the the SunTrust Park mound because I sucked there. <laughs> you know, it, it's it didn't it didn't make a difference for me. I was so bad. But yeah, a lot of times yeah. too, there's little factors like, um, and if you can't get your grounds groundskeepers on the on the same page, but a lot of times, you know, when Felix used to pitch for the Mariners, they would just mm-hmm. soak the ground in front of home plate for like an hour before the game, so that all those um, top spin ground balls would come off it real soft, and the infielders could get to it. Um, there's yeah. always little factors like that that I don't know if they're considering in, in ERA plus and stuff. But um, I was curious, you know, is, if SunTrust is still playing as a as a pretty good hitter's park because that first year I was there, Truist Park, um, that first year I was yeah. there, man, the ball was flying. But I've heard yeah. it's they've the, building some of the buildings that have gone up have kind of changed the way the ball flies a little bit. Yeah, the hotel did a little bit, but it evened out. Uh, it evened out when it, the weather changed too, you know, it, yeah. uh, early, early on that first year, the balls were flying, but flying like by up. late season, it had kind of evened out and been a pretty fair park. And it's been pretty fair. You know, it doesn't, you know, there are nights when it feels like it's really flying and other yeah. nights where it's like, nah, you know, so I don't think it's really dramatic at all. See Turner field. Uh, I felt like the ball never flew out of there. I mean, big, it was that, deep in the gaps and it, and, and it was big, it was big, right center, yeah. right center Freddie was lost. deep. Freddie and Chipper both lost so many home runs in that right center gap. Yeah. Yeah. And BMAC, I remember BMAC always talking about it, you know, hitting it toward that bullpen. It was like, yeah. I think it was 390 at the bullpens. Uh-huh. Um, this was yeah, much shorter here. 
That's what I was curious ball. because I, I felt like Atlanta is a place where the ball is kind of known not to fly, but then we switched to that new park and it was totally different. And then the previous park was called the launching pad. <laughs> and they talked yeah. about how it was the second highest altitude next to Coors, which I yep. just thought, yeah, but is it even high enough to matter altitude wise? But it flew out of that place. Yeah. Who knows with the jet stream and the buildings around it and all that. I just, it's, you know, it's hard to figure it. Um, here's another one expected slugging percentage. And I'm sure X SLG. And that's, that one takes into account exit velo launch angle and others and so and in some cases batted balls sprint speed so among pitchers who've faced who've had at least 100 plate appearances against them this year get this one freed leads the majors with a 281 expected slugging percentage allowed i had a luis castillo of the reds and kenta maeda who's having a hell of a year with the twins so is that, is that basically He's saying the way the balls hit off them? That, so that just the angles and the, and the speed of the ball yeah. hit off them, they should have this. So that, that's basically giving them credit be. for getting soft contact. Right. And speed, okay. sprint speed. Like if they're facing a lot of guys that are fast, that kind of Got thing. Got you. So pretty good stat. But he's the only one below 300. Yeah, I mean, I don't know and if you other- can find a stat he's going to struggle at right now. Right. Uh, here's another one. Expected weighted on base average. As the, 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 uh, you know, the savior metric people love all this stuff and they're good stats. It's just, they're kind of cumbersome unless you dig deep dive into them, you know, and, and really look at what they're about. But I, I kind of like this one too. It's X Woba. They call it X W O O B A on base average freed was tied with Maeda again, having a hell of a year with the twins for second, uh, in the majors at two fifty seven behind Bieber's two forty four. And ahead of Degrom's two sixty six. So whether you understand the stat at all, all you have to do is look at the guys around them yeah, and what they're doing. That's, that's, think, what I well, do. that's pretty damn good when you're yeah. there with Bieber and Degrom and Maeda. Yeah, you know, you're doing all right. That's the best guys, and it's and you know it's a legit stat when the yeah. best guys are at the top, and it's not some you know mediocre guy. Those are the stats where I go, you know, because like I look at sometimes at some defensive stats sometimes. And you'll see a guy that you're like, nobody thinks that guy's a great defensive player, you know? And that's where I have, I really question some defensive metrics, but I look at these pitcher metrics and all these are the best guys. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I can, I, I think that's a good stat. Yeah. I always thought Freddie should have scored. I mean, I always thought Freddie was yeah. one of the best first basemen in the game. Uh, just the way he picks only everything. The last couple of years has that even showed up. You're right. And that's, I think that's some of the fine tuning they've been doing, you know, right. kind of, I agree. agree when they, when they first came out, I remember I was playing with Raul Ibanez and he scored terribly on him. And he was just, he was throwing, not fit. He didn't, he's a chill guy, but he yeah. was, he would always bring up that they didn't account for defensive positioning. So if he right. was, if he was shaded right. toward right center and there's a ball down the left field line that the stats said he should have got to, uh, he would get docked and hurt because he was positioned in, in toward left center or something like that. Um, but I think that, you know, over the years, all those stats were kind of new and, and they kind of had to go through the test of actually mattering yep. before people yep. could truly criticize them because when you're just bouncing around other people that didn't play there's things you might not think of but um i think they've gotten a lot better at kind of adding in and and factoring for a lot of different stuff i mean i try to i try to understand them and give them credit as much as i can but there's a lot of them where i'm just like you know what you can keep that one Uh, i see this dude has a 0.7 whip he's good that was good when we had simon on earlier because he created the defensive run stat but we asked him a lot of good questions, and he actually had some. Yeah. He, when he told me that they have people watch the game twice, 
Um, right. And they and they actually ask. I can't remember. They asked somebody if the play should have been made. They have somebody just judging every game um, with a different uh-huh. kind of viewpoint on how. Um, that was actually a convincing thing for me when he told us all that that they watch the games uh, several times through. They're not just pumping numbers into a system. Yeah, and I, you know the the problem I have with uh, with some of the people who just swear by anything sabermetric and think that it you know uh, every, there's never been any mistakes made. Like you said, they fine tune the defensive stats because I hate when people say that Freddie Freeman wasn't a great defensive first baseman until the last couple of years. It's Come like, on. no, they didn't. He was the same the guy five changed. years ago. Yeah, the stat exactly. changed. He's, he's been the he same guy improve. since he came up. Yeah. He didn't do anything di- different. Yeah, so that's that's why sometimes they're hard to, to give too much credit to because you wonder how much uh, fine-tuning would be left with them. And then the last one here, uh, expected batting average, XBA. Freed's tied for fifth among MLB qualifiers at 201. Behind only Cole, 197, Lance Lynn, mm. who's at 191, Bieber, 189, and then San Diego's – is it Denelson LeMay? Because he's having a hell of a year. That dude I don't know. Nasty. Nasty. He's 189 as well. So, all these stats, Freed is up there with the, the guys that are having the, the years and, the, and most of them are the really established guys. So, he doesn't pile up strikeouts, obviously, like Cole does. He gets plenty, but not like Cole. Cole's a strikeout machine. But he induces that soft contact, and it shows up in his stats. Uh, Freed's 82.19 or I'm sorry, 82.9 mile per hour average exit velo. MLB leader through before Monday, ahead of uh, Tampa Bay's Ryan Yarborough, really good. That guy's really good, 84.4. And Pablo Lopez, who's – I don't know if you've seen this guy pitch yet, but he is nasty, man. This young kid is good. Pablo Lopez, 84.5. And then guys like Kyle Hendricks, 85-3, Zach Grinke, 85-3, are right behind them. So, again, Freed leading the majors in exit velo. Well, so and that's – He is getting the soft contact. Yeah, well, he's getting soft contact with strikeouts. Uh-huh. You know, you, you see a lot of guys, and I think that's why those stats don't like giving too much credit to soft contact because, you know, a ball and play can get through. Uh, and, and they don't think it's maintainable. But when you're getting soft contact and punching guys out, I mean, it, it's – it's pretty easy to see why he's done what he's done. Yeah. So it's good. To, I, I looked at, they had the, uh, you know, they got it year by year. So I was interested. Freed's average exit velo went from 91.1 in 2018, 89.2 last year, 82.9 this year. And his hard hit percentage, they have that too, went from 46.1 in 2018, 39.1 last year, it's only 24.7 this year. So he's like half the rate of two years ago. Basically one out of four guys is, is putting a barrel on a ball. Yeah. And, I mean, you're going to get through a lot of innings like that. And the percentage of balls off the sweet spot against him went from 38-2 in 2018, 32-4 last year. It's just 20 this year, 20% sweet spots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, I, then for some comparison, I looked at Sroka's last year, uh, his his averages last year. He had eighty eight point one exit velo, thirty seven point four point five hard hit percentage, expected uh, slugging percentage of four hundred two. So he was less than Freed in all those last year. Really good in all of them, but not like Freed. Right. So anyway, it was good stuff. I just thought it was interesting to think that you got to. It takes some time to go through them all, you know. But uh, Freed's number, his name just kept popping up on all these. So, uh, Speaking of hitting balls hard, 
obviously but Savant's got all the StatCast stuff for hitters as well. And some of these probably surprise you a little. Others won't at all. But you can probably guess who has the average, the lowest average exit velo among Braves hitters. Lowest. Mm, I don't want to throw anybody guess? under the bus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe Riley. No, he's because he's crushing balls when he hits them. Lowest. I'm talking lowest. Oh, <laughs> shit. Just tell me. Ender. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean. Dude, not only is it lowest on the Braves, his 77.1 mile an hour average exit velo is dead last in the majors among all players with at least 25 plate appearances. Yeah, you, can't, you can't be fast enough to overcome that. No, no. And he's just rolling. We talked about it. He's just rolling over into everything to the right side. And, uh, you know, it's bad, man. And popping up. So lots of pop-ups, too. Um, and the guy, the one that will surprise you, I think, maybe, maybe it won't, is the guy who's got the highest uh, right now exit velo. Ozuna? I would have thought Ozuna. He's up there. But the highest is Tyler Flowers. Mm. Now, yeah, Flo gets a lot many. of those 110-mile-an-hour ground balls. Yep. Doesn't have as many, uh, obviously, plate appearances or batted ball events, as they say. But 93.2 exit velo, tied for Travis Shaw for 18th in the majors. Braves don't have anybody at the top of the list. I thought maybe uh, – I was like Ozuna. I thought my – you know, like last year, Donaldson was really high. But uh, they uh, – tra- they. But Flowers is just ahead of uh, uh, Jorge Soler. Uh, Damn. The Roy- it's a big yeah, dude. Crushes. And Mike Trout. He's ahead of Mike Trout. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people uh, realize how big Flowers is. He's a big boy. He's I know. Big. I don't think people do. He's a big guy. Barrel chest. Next best among the Braves, Ozuna's 91.7. And Freddie's. Freddie's 91.2. Both really high. And Not Freddie's a guy that he doesn't just destroy that, you know, 500-foot homer, but he's always he's always yeah. finding the barrel. So that's, that's going to get his average up. And considering how many opposite field hits he gets, yep. that's pretty more impressive to me yeah. that he's still that high. Uh, Flowers only has 12 batted ball events, as they say, though, BBEs. Uh, among major leaguers with at least 25, Ozuna would lead the Braves in exit velo. He's tied he's tie for 35th in the majors, and he has 73 batted ball events that, that's why he uh, popped into my head because i feel like he's yeah. just crushing balls this year Braves leaders in that category by the way batted ball events dansby 80 and freddie 79 uh and then they have the barrels you know they count the barrels i like that stat too how many balls they barreled up this year ncr only has barreled up one ball all year for some perspective fernando tatis jr he leaves the majors had 17 barrels before yesterday i'm curious how they calculate that one I don't you know, know. I mean, because you can barrel a pop up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Freeman leads the Braves with nine barrels, according to Baseball Savant. Ozuna and Swanson have eight apiece. Adam Duvall, seven. Considering how much he's played, that's impressive. Duvall's got the team best 13.0 barrel percentage rate. So he leads it. He's doing it the most, you know, when he's in there. Travis Darno and Austin Riley both have six barrels. Darno, and I would have thought this too because he's really great. He's got a 12.5 percentage rate. So that's second best on the team behind the ball. There's got to be some guesswork going on unless they got a slow motion camera looking at where every ball hits on the bat, right? But they do, though. They've got that extreme (laughs) slow mo on everything now. It tapes everything. You know, all those cameras behind? Yeah. 
Yeah, they're doing everything just like they do at uh, at Driveline, basically. You know, Wonder how, I mean, how do you up. even fund having paying dudes to? Uh, the site must be pretty profitable to be paying guys to watch every swing in slow motion. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I don't know. Man. I have no clue how that's, how that's working. <laughs> so, anybody, in case somebody's wondering, Acuna had four barrels before he got hurt. Alvis had two, which is low. I mean, you would, and you know, Alvis wasn't, he wasn't raking. He, has, he wasn't the same Alvis this year. Makes you think Alvis was hurting since spring, you know, since summer camp. You know? I think he was. I think it was one of those things that he learned. You know, you, you kind of got to learn. Everybody has yeah. to learn what they can play through and what they can't. Yeah. Um, and I think it's probably his first time learning that you can't play in the big leagues at 80% and, and even thinking he could. And it, and it got worse. And like I said, that's probably why Acuna shut his down and, and came forward with his problem, you know, w- yeah. watching, watching what Ozzy was going through. But I'm, for me, it felt like he was off most of the year. Here's my theory. And I ran this by Seitzer and coach Seitzer's not going to throw anybody in the bus. And, and I, and Seitzer wasn't around these guys during the shutdown. So he said, just since they got back for summer camp and now, None of them were overworked. And here's my theory. They go to spring training, and you know how guys like Freddie, guys, some guys have had wrist stuff in spring training because all of a sudden you ramp it up from right. doing not much in the offseason yeah. to hitting. They take so many swings. I mean, people would be surprised how much people, how many swings these hitters take at spring training. They get there, a lot of them get there early for early hitting, like six, seven in the morning. Then they take regular BP. Then they hit in the game. You know, so guys are yeah. hitting a lot. So you go from – a lot of times go from not much at all as far as really hitting, uh, not more than hitting off a tee or whatever, to doing that. And guys get, you know, inflammation in the wrist and all that. Okay, think about this. They did it at spring training for for uh, about five, six weeks. Built and then up. they shut it down. Right. Then they shut it down for three and a half months. A lot of these guys went home, didn't do anything. Acuna and Ozzy, they hit every day during the shutdown. They were like going around with with Camargo, going where they could find, you know, cages. Yeah. Uh, they'd go out to that high school, Campbell, and hit off, you know, the pitchers, uh, Fulton, those guys. So it, it, normally they would have ended spring training two more weeks. They were going to start the season. You don't hit nearly as much when the season starts. Right. You, know, you might get there and hit, you know, do early hitting indoors before you go and take batting practice. But it's drastically lower than it is at spring training. Right. So I get the impression these guys just basically continued their spring training routine as far as hitting. Yeah. And this shutdown went on for three and a half months. You know? So Ozzy could have started, could have started aching during that time and he just kept, you know, hitting. I, that's just my theory. But him and Acuna both had wrist injuries. You know? Yeah. It, well, and it's also just something where. It, it's really just learning what has to be shut down to heal. And right. what's just a minor thing that'll go away. Um, you know, how much pitchers, your body p- can withstand pitchers would do the same thing with their arms would break. You, you see hitters that it, when you're not right, you know, you right. want to swing and swing and swing. And a lot of times if, if you're not right physically, you don't want to give credit to that, that that's your problem with your swing. So you're going right. to work. You might even take more swings trying to fix your swing and, and just the injury mm, exactly. just kind of compounds on itself. So, you know, it's, it's so hard to, to guess what what caused it or, or what could be going on with yeah. it, but uh, really, you know, I mean, it, you just for me, it's just a stark difference in how fast those two guys came back. By by Ozzy, looked like he was playing through something, and and Ronnie, they shut him down immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, it's who knows who knows what caused it or what's going on. But it's good he's shut down now. It, it just might take a little longer than than Acuna yeah. did because he definitely for me he definitely you know played through a little bit and sometimes that's you know it just it just gets worse from there. The fact that he kept playing to the point where he he, he hit left handed against a left hander that was like okay you're shut now down you, now, buddy. <laughs> now you're really aching. Yeah, right, you got to go. And people blame the team, you know, and I, I'm not going to do that because you just don't know what the guy's saying. Because if a guy's telling you, no, it's all right, it really is. Because everybody, as you said, as you've said, and every player says this, everybody plays through some pain or some discomfort. You just got to know the difference between playing hurt and playing with, you know. Well, you got to learn your guys too. You know, the staff has yeah. to learn that right. if, what, if, what they'll say. if Ozzy says it's not that bad, it might be completely different. You know, everybody has kind of a different pain tolerance. You know, you'd have – you have pitchers that are getting shut down with injuries all the time that mm-hmm. other guy wouldn't even tell the trainer about it. You know, it's just, ah, it's just kind of sore. Once I get loose, it stops hurting. I'm going to keep pitching. And each guy kind of has to learn himself. And, and then the staff has to learn that guy's pain tolerance. And, you know, if, if this, if a certain guy comes in the training room, then the trainers are alarmed. And then you have other guys that just live in there. Right. And this guy says his wrist bothering right. him. And they're like, shut up. You know, you, yeah. <laughs> you've been saying yeah. this for five years. You're going out there yeah. today. So it's, it's, that's, that's another, you know, thing with, with young players where next time Ozzy comes in for any kind of treatment on his wrist, they're going to ask a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why you see the better teams also have their training staffs usually stay in place for a long time because yeah. you They're want your that. guys. Yeah. You want them to know your guys too. You yeah. know, your franchise guys, you don't want to have a new training staff come in and have no clue. You know? Right. Like if, if Freddie comes in and says he needs a day off at this point, right. you know, he needs a day off. It's right. it's not him just you know being a little tired or, or not feeling perfect. If, if he, by the time he comes in the training room, it's time to shut him down versus other guys that could just be living in there. And Bobby was really cautious like that too. And, you know, obviously it's hard to be cautious when this, this season, it's not such a weird season, but Bobby Cox was always like aired on the side of caution, gave guys an extra day when they were ready to come back. And, yeah. and, you know, if you look back, they probably stayed pretty healthy during their long run. I mean, yeah. really healthy. They had a lot of guys playing 158 to 162 games, you know, that's staying healthy, but you know, so these young guys, man, the young single, and you can't you can't fault them. If anything, you got to admire that the fact they went out and busted their asses for three and a half months. But it might have been one of those things where it's a really weird time, and maybe they didn't know better. They just want to go out and get better, and they're just playing. That's what they do. They play baseball. So yeah. they went out and played baseball for hours a day. Who knows? That's all, that's the only thing they know. You know, it's yeah. That what else are you gonna do all day? You know, let's go let's go hit some more. Yeah. It's it's exactly. really hard to and that's that's part of what we were talking about with the shutdown, everybody having a different routine. Right, uh it's right. it's so hard to to manage what your guys are doing when they're when they're off site. Some didn't do enough, some might have done too much. Who knows? Yep. Yeah, everybody has a different approach. That's what teams hate not being in contact with yeah. guys, you know, when you're trying to do everything over the phone or Zoom or whatever, it's different than being there. For sure. And they don't and and they don't have any access to trainers like they did normally. Eric, before we move on, let's hear from one of today's partners, DirecTV. Just a couple other things. Kenny, Kenny Rosedahl did a good notebook on uh, some things that uh, with trade deadlines only about a week away. <laughs> Crazy. It's uh, six days away to be exact. And he named five teams that uh, might be different than what you're expecting them to do at the trade deadline because it's such a weird – year for eight 
of the 15 teams in each league are going to be in the playoffs. And the Red Sox, Angels, and Pirates, as of yesterday, were the only teams that were more than four games out of a playoff race. Shit. How crazy is that, man? Uh, it's about four what you games. expected, though, isn't it? With this many spots. Yeah, I guess I expected, you know, the Marlins, the Orioles to be out of it. And Just they're out. not even out of it. Yeah. You know, but they, but also the Marlins is a contributing factor because they hadn't played that many games, you know, until, you know, recently they started making up some. But, you know, they hadn't played enough games to be that far out of it. But, yeah, I thought those guys would be out of it, and they're not even out of it yet. So, uh, the Phillies, meanwhile, they emerged – as big buyers on Friday when they got, what, three relievers or two relievers from the Red Sox, three mm-hmm. total. And they had the second worst record in the National League at the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, all those playoff spots, though, you know. They're it, going for it. They I got think another, team. another tough thing to, to really gauge is how teams are going to approach. Make, you know, if you had 16 spots uh, out of the blue, you know, in a normal year where you could put fans in the, in the stands, it's yeah. different than just giving your, your city a right. playoff series on TV. Right. Right. So I think I think that's going to be a factor too. You know, trying to if you got a chance to give like for Seattle this year, I, I feel like if they were in it at all, they might be a team that would be motivated to make a big trade because there hasn't been playoff mm-hmm. baseball here in however many years. But just having it on TV is not going to quite be the same as as packing your stadium. True, right? It's harder to sell season tickets off watching on TV than it is being there. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean that experience. You know, you want to yeah. give that to your fans that that playoff right. game where there's fifty thousand going crazy for for nine innings for a few games. Versus who even knows, you know, what the feeling is watching on TV with an empty stadium. Yeah, and you're watching on TV, you're going, well, I can just do this next year. (laughs) Yeah, and and you're going to have to gauge. Yeah, yeah. but you also have to gauge, you know, just getting in. Right, you don't even know. You're buying season tickets, you don't even know if it's going to be open next year. You think it is, but you don't know. Right, and just, you know, just sneaking into the playoffs and you look at your team and there's no way you make it past the first round. How much right. is the team going to be really willing to sell out and, and go for it versus the Braves where you're looking at them and you say if they had a good starting staff, you know, th- they might be a lot more likely to to go big and make that big trade. But there's still the factor of you don't even know if the playoffs are going to happen. It's a yeah. weird trade deadline. Yeah. And some teams, like you said, if they sneak in with the with there being uh, so many playoff teams this year. You get matched up against the Dodgers, at, you're going home. Right. And they might look at it as – yeah, but are we legit? Have we turned a corner? We're going to be there next year when it goes back to normal playoffs? Or are we just a one-year thing where and who cares anyway? You know, which kind of helps, you know, because you you feel like there might not be as much competition as as it would look like on paper. Because there's going to be some teams with that mindset of we're not making a big trade because we know even if we get in, you know, we're just not good enough to go deep. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so as Kenny said, it's the blessing or the curse of the 60-game yeah. season is that nearly every team can dream of a postseason participation yeah. trophy. <laughs> but he said, like, the Giants, for instance. Last year at the deadline, remember they had they had won just enough games and they had Bumgarner. You know, they were like, okay, we're going to go for it in Bochy's yeah. last year and all that. So they held on to Bumgarner Will, and, and, they, and, uh, uh, and, and Will Smith. Didn't trade either one of them. Yep. And they traded Melanson and Pomerantz. And everybody thought, wait a minute, I thought you were going to trade Bumgarner and Will Smith. But at the time, they were only two games out of the Walker's part. Then they kind of fell apart. But they ended up getting, you know, draft picks for those guys. So, you know, for both uh, Bumgarner and Will Smith when they were signed by the Braves and the D-backs. But uh, this year, Zaidi's choices probably going to be a little easier. The week ago, the Giants were 8-16. and 16. 
second worst record in the league. But then they reeled off what six, seven straight wins. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's just everything changes so quickly in the pandemic year, man. Yeah, it's just it's too it's too short of a season for everything to short uh, sort itself out. You know, you get teams man. that are that are in it right now. That if there was a hundred games left in the year, they're uh-huh. you know by that by that trade deadline, they're they're clearly out of it. But there are going to be some weird uh, buyers this year that you wouldn't expect. And remember, like two weeks ago, when when the Rockies were the talk of baseball. Yeah, what's Bud Black doing? How are they doing this? Pitching all yeah. that. Now they've lost what seven, eight straight games. Yeah. I mean, they've just the bottom's falling out. Yeah. D backs have lost five in a row. So all of a sudden they go from, hey, we got a real good chance to be in sellers, maybe. Which five in a row right now is like losing 15 in a row. Yeah. 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 yeah the Braves lost four in a row, and I swear it felt like they lost 20 in a row. Yeah. That's how bad it hurts right, you in the standings. Yeah. Then they came right back and won, you know, four in a row, I think. Uh, five in a row. But, but uh, so they might. Zaidi might take a kind of a similar approach this year, Kenny wrote, that he did last year and trade instead of trading Johnny Quito, who's going to be kind of hard to move anyway because that huge salary he's got next year. He's owed $21 million. They might instead trade Kevin Gossman, who's a potential free agent after the year. So it might make more sense, you know, as a, and teams more willing to take on his salary for the rest of this year. I mean, you're only taking on salary for a month with these exactly. guys, and it's prorated. Yeah, and that's a month of their prorated salary. It's not much for anybody. Yeah, I mean, if they're you're making not, eight, you're paying them two yeah. normally. Now you're paying them five hundred or whatever. You're it not is. T- paying much for any of these guys, right? If you're just for the rest of the year, so I, just, I, I still don't, don't know how much teams will be willing to give up, though. You know, not even knowing right. what's going to happen with the postseason. Well, that's the big and, thing. You know, I don't think the Braves. There's any excuse for the Braves not getting a guy like that, unless. These teams are idiots and think that you're really going to give up a prospect haul for one month of a guy. I mean, normally, at least you're renting them for two months plus the postseason. You're getting one month plus the postseason. And who even knows how long it's going to last? You'd be crazy to give up multiple prospects or even a good prospect, you know, really good prospect who you think can help you for six years contractual control for a guy that's for one month out of a guy, you know? That's yeah. Tough. Yeah. And that's, that's why, you know, with, with more teams making it, you'd think there'd be more buyers, but teams got to be realistic on what they're doing with a playoff appearance. You know, what, what the real benefit of it is, you know, you give up yeah. a big time prospect just to sneak into the playoffs and get your ass kicked by the Dodgers. You're going to look terrible. Man, the Giants got a story with the Ostrinsky though. Whew, how about that guy? He's a stud. He is a stud. Uh, <laughs> just think if the Red Sox could have got him. Yeah, they made cool. a deal. They made a deal to have for that to happen. So the Indians are really interesting. Obviously, it was. I mean, with what's going on with uh, Clevenger and Plesac, uh voted off the island by their teammates. Basically, you know, do you give up on them? I mean, these are guys. Look at Clevenger's numbers. You know, for the last couple of years, these are solid guys. And Plesac, whew, that's a lot of contractual control to give up for them being a holes. But if teams, if their teammates decided, you know, you didn't care about us, so we we don't want you around. Who they got it? I don't envy their GM. No, not at all. That'd be an impossible spot. I mean, even if you think about, you know, what if that happened with the Braves and they happen to have Freed? Yeah. <laughs> what if Freed yeah. went to Magic City? You know, I don't oh. give them up either of those guys without getting prospects in return. Right, you know, something that you, you you just you're gonna look like an idiot if you just listen to your players and trade those guys. And they end up doing, you know, having great years next year for somebody you gave away for for nothing. That's what you need to ask AA is if uh, Freed had gone to Magic City and gotten COVID, <laughs> if he'd be in, if he'd be at satellite camp right now, because I don't think so. 
<laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> uh, they had a guy, Tristan McKenzie, come up and had 10 strikeouts in his major league debut. That's kind of what the Braves were. Oh, I know a lot of Braves fans are hoping for that for Ian Anderson, but I would not count on that against the Yankees. But he had 10 strikeouts in his debut. And some people are saying that should make it even easier for the Indians to move Clevenger or Plesak, but <laughs> that's one start, you know? I yeah. Mean, I just don't know, man. Clevenger, I was looking at his numbers. This is a guy who only had a $4.1 million salary this year. Yeah. He's got two years of arbitration left. And he had a 296 ERA with 447 and two thirds innings over the previous three years. You know, cover came some injuries and, and really it's kind of rounded into the guy that they thought he could be. I mean, 296 ERA in, in the AL when it was the real LEL at that time. So, uh, McKenzie, 23. Let's see. Then you got Plesak. Plesak, to me, is the guy, if I'm if I'm in a, another team looking at it, he's the up. one I'd really be alarmed at by that video and all that. Yeah. But, I mean, he's really good. But, man, you got to wonder if there's something. <laughs> no, there's, there's a ton of guys that are in that mode, but they just know to keep quiet. You know. So immature, yeah. Is you got to, especially you know how how you think the world revolves around you when you're getting treated the way you are and you're putting up those numbers and you're young and his uncle played in the big leagues you know I mean yeah. I, I don't I don't think it necessarily means he's a bad guy he was just kind of came off as a little clueless which ton of guys are it doesn't really hurt you but you got you got five years of control with police attack. I can't see them trading him he's he's too five good years if you're the GM you just you're just wishing it wasn't guys this good <laughs> you know it makes yeah. it so much easier yeah, exactly. But, it's a tough or, or spot, they, man. Or you wish they had done something even worse. <laughs> well, yeah, but if they did anything worse, you know, nobody will take them. Nobody would want them. Well, somebody might. Who knows? <laughs> there, there's been some guys do some pretty bad shit that people have taken them. <laughs> I worked out with um, Luke Heimlich, the guy um, that was – he was a pitcher for Oregon State that it got um, – he had had a story come out about sexually abusing a young kid, but what the Ooh. crazy thing about it was, yeah, I, I, I know, yep, I worked story. out with him for for like two months, and he was a really good dude, like just a great dude. And I, I didn't know that. I didn't know, I didn't know you. Nope, knew him. I worked out with him for two months. I didn't know who he was though, uh, so I had already formed an opinion. I've watched the guy work. Uh, I'd interact with him on a daily basis, and and watched him do everything. And I just thought, man, it's just a great kid right here. And I'm watching him throw one day, and he's throwing 94 miles an hour. He's got a dynamite slider, just nasty slider, and he's putting it wherever he wants. And I go over to the head trainer there. I said, what's this guy's story? I mean, he could pitch in the big leagues right now. I mean, uh -huh. he would have been the first overall pick in the draft, I think. Uh, and I watched him, and I, I went over to the trainer, and I said, you know, I said that. And he said, well, that's Luke Heimlich. And I just said, shit. He's, uh -huh. he'll never, you know, with, with that, uh -huh. with that kind of baggage on him, he'll, he'll never, probably never pitch. He couldn't even get, he got a job in Korea and they nixed that, but it was the, just about the, the worst, worst thing, thing yep. you could have on him. And there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of different, you know, kind of stories that he maybe covered for a sibling or his older uncle or something like that. But for me, I was like, man, I had my read on him. I thought he was a good guy. I would never let him around my kids regardless just because there's that floating about him, you know, and, and it completely changed my perspective on him uh, after that. But it was the weirdest yeah. thing to to really like the guy and, and believe in him and then then see that this guy, as good as he is, because he could 
he could help this Braves team right now, but he can't even get a job in baseball because of how bad of a thing he did. This COVID thing, I mean, it's just on the edge of, you know, maybe a change of scenery and and not having done it to these teammates, you know, and you need him bad enough where teams would would kind of accept that. That's absolutely nothing compared to that. Nothing compared to that. Nothing. Yeah. Um, Because you just turn off your – so much of your fan base forever if you, if do, you do a move like that and this this thing for it. me is like just borderline you know what we need you bad enough right. we'll take a chance this thing is you go to another team and you pitch well yeah, nobody happy. cares yep. nobody cares you get a fresh start team. but i you right. know i don't know right. if his teammates will 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 forgive those guys right. for it because they feel betrayed right. and and because they're the one that put at risk yeah the new team you're not going to care because yeah what do they care they didn't get betrayed so you kind of get a you get a fresh yep. start with the new team yeah. Hey, by the way, there's a terrific story about that dude. Did you read that in Sports Illustrated? About Heimlich? Yes. I don't think I read the story. Oh, my God. I'll send you, I'll, I'll text you our, the link to that story. I think Scott Price wrote it. It was terrific. I was at home, my parents, when I read it. At, uh, it's one of those where you kind of sit beside your nightstand. You're going to read it too eventually, but it's so long you don't start reading it. Yeah. And then I dove into it. I was at home Christmas last year, I think, and read it at my dad's house. And I was like, couldn't put it down. It's a long story, and it's so good. And you put it down going. You got so many thoughts going through your head. Yeah. You put it down, you know, because at the time, there was still, like you said, there was some question, but he wouldn't say. And it was just like you could not have – you couldn't have – sympathy for the guy right it, it past a certain point because it's just you, you kept coming back to it's such a horrible thing yeah if there's even a chance he did this if there's any chance there's no yeah. chance he's in the big leagues or, or in baseball at all and I, but, you know I, I think some teams kind of floated the idea of, of of maybe doing it and then it got out to their fan base and they're like we're out right they wanted to get a reaction i think yeah some of them did kind of let it out there yeah yeah, he didn't get drafted at all. It ain't gonna happen. But uh, so anyway, uh, it's gonna be interesting. There's a lot of gonna be a lot of stuff in the next week uh, with the Braves, obviously with the trade deadline coming up. You know how Alex and Tabos works covertly, so it, something could happen at any time. He usually likes to move quicker, but last year they moved. They made three of those moves for the three bullpen guys in the last uh, 24 hours before the deadline. Two of them on deadline day, so uh, he'll go right up to the limit. I'm right up to the deadline, but he also will pull the trigger early if there's something there for him to do. He thinks he can get a jump on something. But I think the Braves are going to add somebody. I don't know if it's going to be significant because it's such a weird year, like you've pointed out. You know, I think you got the Lance Lynn. I think that's kind of the perfect mix where he's not going to cost you too much. He's not going to be too expensive, but he could really help the team. I think something like that. And very affordable next year. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's so good. Yeah. And you've seen how big a deal it is to have some reliable starting pitching. And even, I think even if Anderson deals tonight and has a good, you know, couple weeks or however long we got, I I still don't see them just bailing out, like believing in that because it's still a young guy. You can't believe in it. I mean, you just can't. You, you don't know. Um, and then also you can't count on Soroka being ready last next year before the All-Star break. Maybe no. you will. Maybe yeah, you're ready you, opening day. But you, you need can't someone count to on it. fill that void. Yep. Yep. Otherwise, you could be in the same boat as this year. If you count on going out and getting some one-year guy in his mid-30s next in the offseason free agency, you can't you can't count on that again. you got to have a stable guy in there with – you know, free. Well, the Hamels thing will change that that mindset too. You know, because that that one year yeah. deal is awesome and it looks good yeah. until this happens, and then blew up in their face. Yeah. 
Worked out with uh, Donaldson, obviously. Worked out to perfection, but did not work out this time. But he could, you know, if he, if he has a good couple weeks and then he then he deals yeah. in the playoffs and gets you past the first round. I mean, that they'd probably say right. It's ultimately, worth it. yeah. Ultimately, yeah. You could end up saying, "Well, it was worth it just for that," but yeah. really needed that a little earlier. Yeah, <laughs> right now, right now, but yeah. yeah. All right, so we'll talk again on uh, on Friday, and that'll be what deadline day is. What the weekend? Oh yeah. shit, it's that close. I keep thinking we got more time. So fast. Yeah, next uh, next Monday actually. This is Tuesday. It's uh, or Sunday. Sunday. It's six days from now. Thirty first. Cool. So maybe something will happen before Friday, but we'll talk. We'll, we'll discuss what happens with Ian Anderson tonight, and maybe they'll have. I think they'll have. A, I think they'll have Marcakis back by then. He's tested negative every day or and every time that he's taken a test since then, from what I understand. Unless there was a positive yesterday or something. So I I thought he was going to be back today but i think he'll be back the next couple of days uh barney and setbacks and then ozzy's probably going to be like till next week they're being real careful with them so but they're going to get them all back in the next week or two and be interesting to see what his team can do at full strength man that lineup <laughs> yeah i haven't even been there yet no and they're doing just fine as it is so all right that's it for us 755 is real we appreciate you guys listening we're out see you.